the faithfulness of God who met a lady who had a great request from the Lord in a very, very trying and difficult moment in history. And this is more than just an isolated case where God did a great miracle. This affected history. This affected the planet. In fact, so much that next week, this will be celebrated throughout Israel as Esther's life is honored and, and, and what she did was, is, is appreciated and expressed. It's a fest day, a festival day, and days where they celebrate God's goodness. So look at the reading of the word with me. That night the king had trouble sleeping. Now this is not just any king of a small country. He's at this time the ruler of the world. This is Xerxes. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. He's the head of the Babylonian Empire. And in those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigtana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this, the king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Well, who's that in the outer court? The king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is out in the court. Well, bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in, and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? And Haman thought to himself, Whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. Father, there's an enemy walking around seeking whom he may devour. But we submit to your word and resist him steadfastly and take our authority here today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, over 2,500 years, 2500 years ago, Pur Purim, as it's called now in Israel, is a celebration of the life of Esther. And during this time, by the way, there's going to be a supermoon, which means the moon will be as close as possible to earth, and it will be full at the same time right on the day. And Israel looks at this as a very important sign related to coming and appearing of Messiah. Now, when there's a blood moon, they always take that as something negative is about to happen. But when it's a super moon like this, they take it as a, a sign that God's about to do something great on the planet. And here you read about Haman, a man with the spirit of Antichrist. He wanted to kill all the Jewish people. And when you look at this, it's a, it's a horrific story of evil and plotting. Uh, they decided to enact a law to allow ethnic cleansing throughout the Babylonian Empire of all the Jews. The, the possibility now, and probability because of the law, permissible to kill all the Jews and take all their possessions, all their land. Of course, making it a law justifies it. 
See, that was the mentality then, and unfortunately, is becoming ours again. Legalization of lawlessness, right? And many think that all we have to do is make laws. We can legalize abortion, killing of babies, legalize drugs, legalize prostitution, legalize anything that's immoral biblically, then our conscience will be cleared. Everything is good because it's now the law. Well, let me take you on a quick journey of the life of Esther and get this in perspective. The book of Esther begins with a seven-day party. This is a wild party. This is, there's drinking. The king is throwing apart. Now, remember, he's the ruler of the world. He's got everything at his fingertips. And he's, he's about to lead an invasion of Egypt. He wants to conquer that land as well and lay siege and overthrow the entire Egyptian empire. In order to do that, he's got to get all of his generals and warlords together behind him. So he throws them before they launch into this next enterprise and taking of another country, a huge party. For seven days, they ate, they drank, and I mean, it was wild. Now, not everybody in the church was born in the church. You know what I mean? Some of you know what it's like to be a part of a lifestyle of partying. Some know what it's like to start on a Friday after work. And maybe around now, you start to calm down a little bit. Maybe by Sunday afternoon, you start letting the hangover wear off and looking for some coffee. And hopefully you get to work on Monday morning a little bit bug-eyed, but bug-eyed, but tired, right? That's been the routine for people, unfortunately, even in our culture. They begin on Friday and extend it right on through Sunday. Thank God if you've been freed from that kind of life. Amen? This seven-day party is underway. Seven days. And here, here's the way the king decided to win the support of his generals. Here's what the king did. Now, he, he says, here comes the icing on the cake for the end of the party. And the seventh day, they've all been eating and drinking and a wild old time, whining and dining. The culmination is to bring out the king's most stunning from his harem. The loveliest one, Vasti, was his queen. And, and she would be brought out in seductive clothing and she would dance. And with one swing of her hip, all of a sudden, all these soused generals would say, we'll follow you anywhere you want to take us. And the moment is right. He's got everything laid out and perfectly planned. All he has to do is get his beautiful wife, Vasti, on the palace stage. And he sends for her. But she's in the east wing of the palace. And here's a problem. She has her own party going on with all the general's wives. And she's starting a feminist movement. It's in your Bible. It's right there. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vasti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. And the queen responded by messenger, you tell him we're having our own party, and I'm not coming there to dance. And when the king heard that, and then his generals heard that, they said to him, you've got to do something because, listen, if she doesn't do what you say, our wives are going to take a cue from her and they're all going to rebel and not do what we say. And we're really going to have a problem. And the king says, no worries, no worries. Banish her forever. He took her off the scene. And her attitude, however, became the channel through which God would complete a higher purpose in this story. Sometimes we don't understand the way people act or sometimes the way they do what they do. Sometimes we don't understand why doors open and close. And sometimes we don't understand why things turn out the way we never would have planned them ourselves. But we must always remember if we're a child of God, God's in the middle of it and he's in complete control. Now, here's this, here, he has this situation. There's a king, but now there's no queen. 
She's gone. There's a vacancy. So occupied in, in occupied Israel, he holds a beauty contest. 127 provinces scattered throughout his empire, and they are to send from their province the most beautiful woman out of their region to represent their region at the palace. For one year, before they can have an audience with the king, they bathed in oils, rich oils and perfumes. It took them one year in preparation for one night with the king. Now, we want to run in, sing three choruses, put God on a one-hour clock, and tell the Holy Spirit, hurry up, please. I've got other things to do. We rush in unprepared, no reverence, no sense of whom we're coming to meet, hurry so we can make sure we keep the plans we've created for the day and hope God shows up and hope that we'll be crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies because we punched the clock on Sunday morning. Calvary Christian Center, if it took a full year of bathing in oil, which represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and then to be perfumed, which is worship in the Old Testament, before they got a one-night audience with the king, how much more should we understand it takes some preparation on our part? We just don't show up. We stay up half the night on Saturday watching the latest movie and dragging the church half asleep. No, we ought to prepare our hearts to worship the king of all kings. We've got an audience with the king of kings. And when we come in, we're not when they, well, I'm not to wait on the worship team to get me motivated or to start my engine. My engine's been running long before the worship t- team ever took the platform. We should be preparing Sunday mo- for Sunday morning, and we should be saying, I'm going to the palace to meet the king. I'm going to be prepared. My opportunity is there when I gather together with his people in his house. And the word says, from among these 127 beautiful women from all over the kingdom, There was one who was an orphan. Her name was Esther. And she did not know her mother and her father. She was raised by her uncle, a man by the name of Mordecai. But he had poured into her and groomed her for greatness in the things of her God, the one and only God. Anytime the king has his hand on your life and you're a person of purpose, he'll bring into your life someone who will mentor you for God's purposes. And just as Esther had Mordecai, just as Ruth had Naomi, just as Timothy had Paul, just as Elisha had Elijah, listen, as Mary had an Elizabeth, when God's hand is on your life, he'll bring someone to you who will speak into your spirit a mentor, someone who will guide your steps. And when you can find that connection and find that link that give you spiritual direction and counsel, it's as though they're speaking directly into your heart. When there's a divine link in there, you know that when that's happening, you're, you're getting closer to your purpose because God doesn't waste mentors on people who are not purpose-driven, who have no dream, who don't even know why they're here on earth. God surrounds you before you enter in with someone who will mentor you and groom you for greatness. Tell somebody you're being groomed for greatness. Amen. And the word says, Esther didn't know where all this was going. She just thought, I'm an ordinary girl, probably a typically typical Israeli girl with some dark curly hair, olive-toned skin, brown eyes. She looked like so many little Jewish girls 
Her idea of life, pretty simple. Most were peasants. I'll hold hands with my boyfriend under the olive tree. He'll propose a betrothal. We'll be married and have kids. I'll fix dinner, and we'll live happily ever after. Yeah. Many times people settle for lesser things when God has supernatural opportunities that he wants us to believe him for. Amen? So I'm saying to somebody, don't count yourself insignificant. Because it's possible God brought you here for this moment to confirm you. He has a supernatural opportunity heading for you. And I sense it. There is an awakening. Do you feel it in the body of Christ? It's building. And we're going somewhere. Supernatural opportunities. And God needs someone to believe. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God needs someone to believe. He opens doors that no man can shut. Even if it takes you into the political arena, the next entrepreneur on the cover of Forbes magazine won't be the guy who does this. <laughs> It'll be somebody who's seated in a service like this. The next Grammy winner, supernatural opportunities. And here's where the story gets really interesting. The king says, get the ladies ready and have them look perfect. And some of them were farm girls. Esther probably had dirt under her fingernails. She may not have had a fine wardrobe, certainly. But they all looked good as they got prepared. They weren't used to royalty in most cases. You know, they were going from the farm to the palace. So Esther finds herself in the middle of all this because not only is it a strange culture, it's an extremely wealthy culture. The Babylonian Empire... They, they literally control the wealth of the, of the world. And the king gives his royal black American express card to all the candidates and says, look, you go to Nordstrom and buy the prettiest outfit you can find, and it's all on me, okay? When you get these big opportunities, folks, please don't head to Walmart. Don't do that, okay? I want to show you something here that many have missed. All the other women, 126 of them, they go out and they start getting their wardrobes assembled and start fixing themselves up in, in preparation. You know, oh, I like that. And I, uh, those Jimmy Choo shoes, you know, I want those. And this is my favorite color. And this is my favorite fabric. And I'm, I'm going to look really good in this. And they start picking stuff out. But Esther, she's brilliant. Do you know what Esther did? Watch. It says she went to Hege the chamberlain to the king. That means he has sole access to the king at will. He served the king. He made espresso for the king. He made his breakfast. He laid his robes out on his bed every morning. He knew all the tastes of the king. And while 126 were over at the mall in the store shopping, like, I like this and I like this, she went to the chamberlain and said, what is his favorite color? What does he like? Tell me, does he like this style or this style? That was brilliant. You have to understand, I'm kind of like a Holy Spirit-directed Chamberlain. And when I preach about living clean with integrity, I'm telling you what the king likes. He doesn't like spotty garments. The culture may like them, but he doesn't like them. God loves the garment of praise. He loves the robe of righteousness. He loves for his people to be dressed differently from everybody else. And picture this. She's standing there. I don't know what the king's favorite color was. Whatever it was, she was dressed to the nines. 
All 127 walk in, and I'm sorry. But I don't believe he chose her just because she was better looking than all the rest. Because after the first 100 of them, I mean, these are the most beautiful women on the planet. So, I mean, he's, he's got a choice of 127. They're all tens. But there was something that caused Esther to stand out. And I can say that they literally walked off the front cover of Vogue magazine, but she comes in dressed to his taste. And when we're coming to get in the king's presence, we need to put on a garment of praise to the Lord. We better not be worried about what everybody else is thinking about us, what people say. We better get the spots out of our garments so we can have an audience with the king. We'll catch the eye of the king. And the word says that Esther is standing there and guess where the king's eyes fell. He's looking them all over. And who's that over there in the periwinkle? For some reason, his eyes fall on Esther. And the word says he chooses her to make her his queen. And so several days now gone by and weeks and months. And one day she receives news from her uncle Mordecai that Haman hated all the Jews and he's going to exterminate them. And he's actually drawing lots to choose the day on which he's going to start the, the, the total wiping out of all the Jewish race among them and exterminate the entire Jewish culture. And, and she hears about it. And, of course, she's greatly disturbed. And when something is bothering a woman, you'll know it, <laughs> especially when you're married to her. <laughs> Sooner or later, you'll know it. And this is kind of the funny part of the story. The king noticed her when she walked into his presence and said to her, what do you desire? Something's bothering you. I mean, I'll, I'll give to you half my kingdom. I just want you to be contented. What's troubling you? And notice what she said. He asked, what's wrong? And she said, oh, nothing. <laughs> Ever hear that? Let me help the husbands here, okay? If you ever say to your wife what's wrong and she looks at you and says, nothing, call a counselor, get on your knees and pray. Because I think God's worked out a special deal with women and they can say the word nothing and lie and get by with it. I'm, not, I'm, I'm preaching here, so somebody ought to say an amen. He, he, asked, he asks her a second time and she answers the same way, nothing. Well, what do you want? Well, just come to dinner tonight, she said. Invite Haman, and you all come to dinner. Okay. So the word says they showed up for dinner. And he had asked her what was troubling her, and her response, nothing. The next evening, she invites them back to dinner again, two nights in a row. Now, Haman is all excited, and he's telling everybody, you know, I'm eating with the king. I'm having dinner at his table. Tonight, I'm eating with the king a second time. It must mean I'm going to be promoted. I mean, we're just like this. And, and, and we're tight. I mean, I mean, he's inviting me to his, house, to his home, to the palace. And no telling, I'm probably going to be the next prime minister of Babylonian Empire. I'm eating with the king in the palace a second night in a row. You see, the devil has limited access to the king. The book of Job speaks of Satan's access to the throne of God, but it's limited access. 
And he gets rejoicing when he's starting to plot something to destroy a child of God because, you know, he'll slip into the presence of the king and he thinks he's going to obtain permission to have victory. But what he doesn't know is this. While the devil is plotting to destroy us, God is planning to bless us and prosper us. And the word says that Haman goes back the second night to dinner. We pick up the story in the text as he's finished the the dinner the first night. And the word says that the king, after the first night's dinner, he was disturbed. He couldn't sleep after that first night. He has indigestion. His mind is bothering. So he gets up. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. And something's wrong. He knows with Queen Esther. He can't put his finger on it. Something's not right. I, I, I shouldn't have eaten all the food maybe. And I can't get my mind off of what's troubling her. Did you know you can cause the king to have insomnia? Did you know that the scripture says that on the seventh day God rested? But did you know that you have the ability through your worship to cause the king to pay focused attention concerning that situation you're in? He, he that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The word says he's up all night. And it's four in the morning and the king still can't sleep. And he says, bring me the record books, the court records for the nation. If you want to be bored, start reading court transcripts, okay? The king has someone come with the records, and and, and the messenger begins to read the transcripts. On January the 3rd, so-and-so came before the courts, and we're accusing him of attempted murder. But on February 1, so-and-so came before us, having stolen a falafel from the marketplace. And this was the this was the judgment. He starts reading through the records, and and he's hoping that in reading them that the king will just get so bored he'll just nod off and go to sleep. But it just so happens as he turns the page, the reader reads what's recorded, and here's what was recorded. On a certain day, a man by the name of Mordecai intercepted two assassins who were about to take the life of the king. And he spoiled their plot by informing on them before they executed their plot to kill the king. And the king perked up and he said, really? What did I do to reward this guy? Sir, I'm sorry, but it's recorded. You didn't do anything. You mean he saved my life? And this is all going on in the palace. But Esther's already put a plan in place. And she has made an announcement to all the Jewish people, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I'm going to go see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Whatever happens, I'm going to do the right thing, no matter what. It's what General Schwarzkopf used to say to all of his troops before they would launch onto the field of battle. Do the right thing. Always, no matter, do the right thing. Now, don't tell me that prayer and fasting can't change things. Because when this lady called for a fast and prayer, listen, don't tell me that our conversation to God can't move the powers that be. I mean, he moved heaven and earth here. And when we pray, it causes things to happen we may never know about. Mordecai. Who's Mordecai? The king asked. And I didn't do anything for him? King, you didn't do one thing. And he saved your life because of this Jew. You're alive today. And about that time, they hear someone out in the outer court making a little bit of ruckus as he's coming in. And the king says, who's that? And he says, that's Haman. 
And Haman's so excited. I mean, he's so excited. You know, he's going to get to go back to the palace tonight for another dinner. I will dine with the king and his wife privately. And I've told all my friends it won't be but just a few more days. I'm going to kill Mordecai. Haman was angry with Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow down to him when he wanted personal praise. And he said, as soon as I get my high and lofty position and the law is put into place, I'm going to deal with Mordecai. In fact, I'm building a gallows and I'm going to kill him. I'm going to hang him by, the, by a noose. And Mordecai is as good as dead. It's ready. Within about 24 hours, he'll be hanging. He's so excited he can't sleep. So he comes over to the palace early the next morning. Now, the king has just had his mind blown by the fact that Mordecai was the one who saved his life. And I haven't done one thing to help him. So here's someone in the outer court, and the king says, who's that? That's Haman. Haman, tell him to come in. I need some counsel. In comes Haman. Yes, sir. Talk about timing, right? Tell me, Haman, what do you think I ought to do for the man that I take great delight in? One I really want to honor in a big way. Well, sir, I think you ought to take the crown off your head and place it on his as a show of honor. I think you ought to take your robe off and put it on him, put it around him. And Haman is salivating. You ought to get someone, make him run alongside of your horse with that honored man riding on one of your horses. And the runner alongside the horse should be shouting, this is the man in whom the king honors. This is the man the king is honoring. And you ought to run all through the streets of this great city and tell everybody how much he's loved. Haman, I love that idea. I'm so glad you came up with that. Go and do that for Mordecai. <laughs> How I love the Lord, right? Amazing when we fast and pray. And don't you ever think lightly of fasting being added to your prayer life. Because God gets moved when he sees our heart is intended on getting an answer from him. Esther's seated at the table. She has the king there at the table. And she has this man who wants to perpetuate and perpetrate a holocaust on all the Jews. And God has orchestrated every step, even the reading from the transcripts of the courts. Listen, God, or, and Esther knows if Haman has his way. Every Jew, including herself, is going to die. Haman didn't know she was a Jew. And they're eating at the table in the palace. You see, you have to learn to worship God even when the enemy is at the table. Amen. Are you all here? I just want to be sure you're awake today, right? Okay. Because he said, I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You haven't really worshiped until you have worshipped in the face of a diagnosis from the doctor that says, you're pretty sick and you might not recover. You haven't really worshipped until you've worshipped with the enemy seated at the same table. And at that moment, you're not focused on the cursor. You are focused on the blesser. You're focused on the one you know is the only one able to help you. You don't focus on the evil one. You focus on the king. And if you'll focus on the king, Esther never said anything to Haman. Not a word. She just kept talking only to the king. 
You see, you have to worship and learn to worship even when the enemy's at your table. You stay focused on the king, no matter what's going on with some enemies at the table. And now we've got a dilemma. The word says that Haman has to go walk alongside that horse and alert the crowd to the presence of Mordecai. He has to walk alongside announcing him as the king's favorite while Haman, who wanted to be crowned with this, mm -mm. Haman has to just kind of suck it up because Mordecai is being honored. Now watch this. When Mordecai mounted that horse, he had the enemy under his feet. God will use your enemy to promote you. God will use your enemy as your PR agent. What they intend for evil, God turns it into good. Even though they want to target you, God turns it around. When he's got a plan for your life and you're staying locked onto him, he'll fulfill it no matter what enemies do. And if you allow God in your process, whatever they're saying about you, he'll use it to promote you. I don't know what kind of an enemy is seated at your table. Let me say this to you today. God will shortly bruise Satan under your feet. And the very thing the enemy has attempted to use to destroy you will be the exact thing God will use to promote you. God knows how to turn curses into blessings. How humiliating to the devil. And he never learns. This is the man the king honors. Now Mordecai has to walk the streets. And here we are. Haman has plotted against him. And he's humiliated. And he returns to the palace. And Haman heads for that palace dinner. And the king says, come on, Esther. Tell me what's really wrong. And she said, okay, I'll tell you now. Haman who's seated at the table, has put out a decree to have me killed. I'm a Jew, and he wants to kill all the Jews in your kingdom. What? The king says. Haman is seated right there. He has already had a bad day. <laughs> and he's seated there. Now, let me tell you something I've learned. Don't fight. Let God defend you. I said, let God defend you. He can fight a whole lot better than you and I can. Just surrender and let Jesus take over. And if you'll quit trying to fight your battles in the flesh, be still and know that he is God. You'll find out that the battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. And all you have to do is, is sit back and watch them hang on the, the very gallows they prepared with your name on it. And Haman is squirming now. And the king says, did you do that, Haman? And he says, uh, uh, I, I did. And the king is furious. He's angry. I, I've got to get up and go outside. I've, I've got to clear my head. I might do something rash to you myself. Uh, I feel like... And so the king gets up and he walks out on the balcony to go cool off. I mean, it's hot. It's in your Bible. He's trying to cool down. He's out chilling on the balcony. And Queen Esther gets up and walks off and leaves Haman at the table. She chasses out of the dining room and heads for her bedroom and sits down on the edge of her bed. And Haman is freaking out, okay? 
and you've got to help me, he says. He follows Esther into her bedroom. Please, he's going to kill me when he returns. Please, please. And Haman sits on the edge of her bed and nudges over to her and says, please, I beg you. And about that time, the king walks in from off the balcony. What are you doing on the bed with my wife? It's in your Bible. Go read it at that moment. I know Esther must have just gotten up and walked out and never said a word. It's not what it looks like, king. It really isn't what it looks like. You've got that right. Guards take him and hang him on the gallows he prepared for Mordecai. Thank God that our God knows how to fight. Amen. Our God knows how to deal with our enemies. He'll even use, uh, listen, a, a, a crooked stick to strike a straight blow. He knows how to do it. Our God knows how to reverse the curse. And Esther saved the Jewish race by allowing the Lord to fight her battle. Everybody say, God's working it for my good. The enemy will hang on his own noose. This is a word in season for someone who feels like the enemy has gotten the upper hand on you. Mm -mm. Read the story. Mordecai gets invited to dinner. And Haman, he's just hanging around. <laughs> Pretty much it. <laughs> Sorry. Who's in a battle? And it seems like the enemy's got unlimited access to you. You know, I mean, but that's all he has is limited. He doesn't have unlimited. God puts a restriction on him. Read the book of Job. It says you can go this far and no further. He's only got limitations, and your trouble's got an expiration date stamped on it somewhere. And the key to this is simply you bathe in the oil, you get in the presence of the Holy Spirit and invite him to saturate your life. You fill the air with perfume. That's worship and thanksgiving to God. Even though you are still in the middle of the fight, you still give glory to God. Listen, for six months, the word says, she bathed in oil. Representing the Holy Spirit, the oil gets out all the rough places, right? And for the next six months, she bathes in these perfumes and worship. And only the Holy Spirit can make us fit for the king. Only worship can get us out of this one. And what the enemy meant for evil, God turns it for your good. You see, the scripture says in Nehemiah, they hired Balaam to curse them. And, through our, and though our God turned the curse into a blessing. Someone may be cursing you, but God says, however, I, the Lord, will turn the curse into a blessing. So we ought to thank him. And they had a feast that night, and they celebrated the liberty and the freedom of the Jewish people under the rule and thumb of the Babylonian Empire. And the Jews are still celebrating that feast till this day. They call it the Feast of Purim. And the Jews celebrate the deliverance of the children of Israel while Haman was hanging dead on the gallows. The king and Esther and Mordecai are having this feast. And until, that, until this very day, they still celebrate this particular occasion, one of Israel's greatest feasts. And this is one of the feasts in which they bring out the sweets and the goodies 
and the good stuff, and they have abundance of food, and they teach their children the reason we are here is because this one woman was used by God to spare our race. We ought to be throwing a party every time we gather together. And some people don't understand. If you want to get into the king's presence, dress like he desires. If you want his eyes to fall on you, because everybody's crying, Lord, pick me up, pick me up, help me, F- focus on me. I've got a pro- I need a miracle, and we have to have a miracle. Yeah, and the, only, the, the one way the eyes of the king will fall on an individual, just present yourself like he likes. Put on the garment of praise. Don't whine. Don't complain. Just present your case to him. Don't have a pity party. Put on the garment of praise and watch how God responds in your business, in your court case, in your battle. God's given us a formula in his word, a a principle of principles in which to follow that if we put them in play, we get the attention of Almighty God and we run the enemy out from under us trying to thwart everything God's doing. You've heard from God today. You need prayer. God will turn it around. The enemy meant it to curse you. God will turn it into a blessing. Except don't come to him and complain and whine and murmur. I don't know if you're ever going to help me like you helped them. Just say, Lord, I know you love me. I know who you are. And your love never changes. And it's the same for me as it is for any of your children. And I'm here to thank you. Even I'm in the middle of pain, even in the middle of trouble and turmoil, even though it's difficult right now on this day, I still know who you are. You will favor me as I praise you and worship you and present myself to you a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is my reasonable service for all you've done for me. And if you approach God like that, He'll pick you out of a crowd in a heartbeat because his eyes will always lock on the person whose heart is postured toward him. Seeking to please him. He'll find you in that crowd. It's the woman with the issue. And there are crowds of people around him thronging him and pushing against him and touching him. This one woman whose heart is postured toward him said, if I can just touch. The fringes of his prayer garment, which are at the very bottom, which means I've got to stoop as low as I can get and just reach out and touch those. Woman, your faith has made you whole. Of all the people who touched him that day, it was the one who presented herself with humility and with faith. You'll always get God's attention. Amen. Let's stand and thank you.